Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. It's Tuesday, August 2nd, and it's primary election day in Missouri and Kansas. I'm Peggy Lowe, filling in for Nominu Giadine. Coming up, KCUR took a look at claims by the Johnson County Sheriff, who said he's received more than 200 tips of election fraud. So I asked for public records about things like incident reports or anything else based on these tips or anything related to his investigation. And what did you find? Native Americans lost their connection to many of their own foods after centuries of colonization. Now there's a growing movement to grow and forage for their traditional foods. It really helps me like connect to my culture better. It helps me connect to my people better. But first, some headlines. Two churches in Lawrence were targets of vandalism over the weekend, with messages opposing a constitutional amendment on abortion. Spray-painted three-foot-tall words on Victory Bible Church included a vote no and protect choice. The church supports the amendment. Pastor Leo Barbie Jr. says the incident shows that the debate over the issue has broken down. I think it's really sad where we are as people that we can't disagree. I think you can disagree, we don't have to become disagreeable. I think it's where our country is in a great, at this particular time. Voters will decide today whether to amend the Kansas Constitution to say it does not protect the right to abortion. But some Kansans have reported receiving misleading text messages about what a yes or no vote for the amendment would mean. Dylan Lyson of the Kansas News Service breaks down the two choices. A vote yes on the amendment would change the Kansas Constitution to say it does not guarantee the right to an abortion and lawmakers can regulate it. Without a right to abortion, lawmakers can approve restrictions or a total ban that currently would not be allowed. A vote no on the amendment would keep things the way they are now, with access to abortion recognized as a right protected by the Kansas Constitution. And a surprise of sorts in the Missouri U.S. Senate race. After waiting to see just who former President Donald Trump would endorse, he announced late yesterday that he chose Eric. Yes, just Eric. Former Governor Eric Greitens and State Attorney General Eric Schmidt are both running for the GOP nomination. Congressman Emanuel Cleaver says he believes former President Donald Trump committed crimes in connection with his involvement in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. On KCUR's Up to Date yesterday, the Kansas City Democrat referred to evidence from the Select Congressional Committee looking into the attack. I think one of them, obstruction of justice, I think that case can be made. I also believe that the president was involved in trying to inhibit the operation of the federal government. Cleaver also announced nearly $40 million in federal funding will support 15 community projects in the Kansas City area, including the historic 18th and Vine District. When Johnson County's sheriff said he's investigating claims of election fraud, he didn't provide any evidence. So KCUR's Steve Vakrat checked it out and talked to NPR's Aisha Roscoe about it on Weekend Edition Sunday. Can you tell us why the sheriff says he's investigating elections? And I mean, is that even his job? 
The sheriff's name is Calvin Hayden. He's a Republican, and he spoke recently to a gathering of law enforcement officials who call themselves constitutional sheriffs, and they believe county sheriffs have more authority than anyone else in their county at any level of government. And at that gathering, they called on sheriffs to do more investigations of the 2020 and future elections. Investigating election fraud isn't really something that Kansas sheriffs really do. Their role in elections is usually around security at election offices or crimes like uh, disorderly conduct at a polling place. Hayden says that before 2020, he didn't think anything was really wrong with elections in Johnson County, an area that includes Kansas City's suburbs. But that year, the county voted for Joe Biden. Here's Hayden at a recent gathering of constitutional sheriffs. President Trump did not carry our county. First time since 1914 that Johnson County didn't vote Republican. Yeah. So it's kind of it's it's kind of interesting. At that gathering, Hayden also noted that Johnson County is growing rapidly and that the new residents are, quote, moving some of their politics from the crummy places they live to my county. And it's not fun. Okay, but that doesn't mean they're not allowed to vote. Um, so, so has Hayden gotten any more specific about what his claims of fraud are? Hayden has said that he's received more than 200 tips from people who allege that they were witnesses or victims of fraud in Johnson County elections. But that's about as far as he's gone in terms of specifics. He said his investigation is a nonpartisan issue. So I asked for public records about things like incident reports or anything else based on these tips or anything related to his investigation. And what did you find? So his office provided me one incident report of just one tip among those 200 that he said he had. Uh, None of the major police departments in the county nor the Republican Secretary of State had any evidence of election-related crimes. And that incident report was about a 71-year-old woman who tried to vote early and alleged that some ballot tampering law may have been violated. I couldn't get more details from her or the sheriff's department. I also got a memo that was written about a meeting where Hayden asked county election officials why ballot drop boxes were at public libraries in 2020 and whether the county would eliminate them for future elections. He also wanted his deputies to pick up ballots and be present during vote counting. The county's attorney warned Hayden that his actions could look like he was trying to interfere with elections. This is a big election on Tuesday. The fate of legalized abortion is on the ballot. Like, How does that tie into all of the things that we've been talking about? In addition to Hayden's vague claims about election fraud, some anti-abortion groups are also raising similar claims about ballot drop boxes. And these kinds of vague allegations about fraud in this opaque investigation could feed into the narrative of a rigged election, just like in 2020, even if there's no evidence to back up the claims. Election officials here keep pointing out that the state's elections are well run and there's been no evidence of fraud. And in 2020, Republicans generally did pretty well here. That was NPR's Aisha Roscoe on Weekend Edition Sunday. Native Americans have been growing food to feed their communities and connect to their spirituality and cultures for millennia. But colonization separated many Native Americans from their traditional foods. Now the idea of food sovereignty, or people having the right to control where and how they get food, is growing. And as Lauren Hines reports for Harvest Public Media, new formal programs to promote Native foods are popping up across the Midwest. 
At the Kansas City Indian Center, there's an indoor garden that holds dozens of potted plants full of indigenous foods like elderberry seedlings and papas. Assistant gardener Jojo Blackwood is watering the plants and notices the baby sumac trees are going strong. Oh, as you can see, some of these have already started growing their own little leaves, their own little stems. This is all part of the center's food sovereignty efforts, which focus on providing access to healthy, traditional food. Through the center's two community gardens and foraging classes, Blackwood and a few volunteers connect Kansas Cityans to foods they can find right in their backyards. That's another big part of indigenous farming, is that, you know, you understand that all these are living things. They're, they're not just like a thing you own, they're your relative. You help them, they help you. In a 2019 study from the Food Security Journal, researchers found Native Americans make up less than 2% of the U.S. population, but they suffer from some of the highest rates of food insecurity, poverty, diet-related diseases, and other socioeconomic challenges. Heather Don Thompson is the director of the Office of Tribal Relations at the U.S. Department of Agriculture and a member of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. I think we have to be cognizant of the historical role that the federal government and the American people have played in displacing the indigenous plants and animals to begin with. For instance, Thompson says the U.S. government tried to eliminate bison while settling America, which left Native American tribes without a food source and their sovereignty. And that impact is still being felt today. In Colorado, the First Nations Development Institute is helping indigenous communities find grants and other resources to connect with their own food. Ade Brionis is the director of programs. I think what we see now in food sovereignty is like this attempt to pierce some of the colonial structures. Brionis, who is Cochiti Pueblan and Kiowa Indian, says it wasn't until the 1930s that the U.S. government allowed indigenous peoples to participate in the American economy. Now, formal food sovereignty programs are emerging to challenge the entrenched colonial food system. Whether that be like government regulations or economic disparities that prevent indigenous people from really building models of food system or participating in traditional models of food growing. And indigenous organizations across the Midwest are taking matters into their own hands. The Quapa Nation in Oklahoma has been at the forefront of building food sovereignty programs. Michelle Bowden is the agriculture and environment specialist for the nation, as well as a member. She says they're trying to increase the health of the community, economic resilience, and bring back cultural heritage. I, I think that people really understand the importance of uh, food sovereignty and the fact that we need to be you know, pretty much self-sustainable and be able to take care of uh, the communities that we live in. In 2019, she and her team created the Quapa Farmer's Market after finding that people were having trouble accessing fresh food in the region. The market offers local products and traditional foods like Quapa red corn and bison. Indigenous foods also help connect Native Americans back to a diet that's healthier and more nutritious than the current colonized diet. But to people like Jojo Blackwood, food is about more than just nutrition. It really helps me like connect to my culture better. It helps me connect to my people better. I like to think that my ancestors are proud of me for doing this. And Blackwood says now her main concern is helping her community and trying her best to be a good plant mom. 
For Harvest Public Media, I'm Lauren Hines. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including KCUR. It reports on food systems, agriculture, and rural issues. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Peggy Lowe, filling in for Nominu Giadine. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Gabe Rosenberg and Lisa Rodriguez. If you're voting today, you still have time to check out our helpful voters' guides for both states online at kcur.org. And stick with KCUR through this evening, as we'll have live election results there, too. If you like Kansas City Today, help us out by leaving a review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. The lore around Dr. Annie Smith is a sensationalized tale of a haunted hospital with jars of fetuses told to scare teens in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. But what's the truth behind her story? Oh, it's just this woman who was a physician who treated patients and, you know, saved some lives. <laughs> like, oh, it's somebody doing their job. The facts and fiction behind the legend of Doc Annie on the latest episode of the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. Subscribe.